Some of you know this scenario very well. You have been up, you've been awake all night long. You've rolled back and forth in your bed all night long. The seconds on the clock have ticked by and you've counted every single one. It's been one of those nights, it's a dark night, no sleep, no rest. Maybe it's a night of even great sickness and the agony of the darkness of the night. Waiting for the morning sunrise is an eternity. And again, you hear the ticks of the clock as you wait. But then it's that moment when you maybe look out the window or see the uh, eastern skies begin to lighten. And it begins to give you some hope. And you begin to rejoice that the morning is coming. The sunrise is upon you. And then it's that next moment, that glorious moment when those sunbeams come across the horizon over the mountaintops and they break forth and the sky begins to light up. And with the sunrise comes light, relief, comes warmth. With the sunrise comes hope and joy and healing. On the screen you'll see a picture, August 20th. 2022, that Saturday morning, I went over to East Missoula uh, with hopes of catching some nice fish that morning. And I showed up in the dark and was awaiting as the, the skyline was beginning to brighten some. And as I got my gear out and I went down to the water, this began to brighten up. And this morning was a glorious morning. And as that light was coming up, even deer were coming out of the, uh, the, the tree line and coming down to the water. The fish were jumping, which was a great thing if you love to fish. But it was a glorious morning. And then the sunlight as it came, the sky was so blue. I don't know if you paid attention yesterday. Did you see the blue skies? Did you wake up and you saw the sunrise and you're like, sunlight for the first time in months. And the sign of spring maybe is coming upon you with that. But we love the sunrise. We want the sunrise to come. For others, though, the sunrise is not welcomed. For others, the sunrise brings trouble, it brings terror, and it brings destruction for some. Have you heard this line before? Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky at morn, sailors take warn. Or some people say shepherds. Because sailors and shepherds are out either on the water or in the open field. And when they see the weather rising in the morning with the sunrise, there is a concern of the terror of a great storm at sea or where they are out in the field And Malachi is speaking God's words of the sunrise that is to come. And there's the certainty of the sunrise that is to come. And for some people, that's joy. And for some people, it is terror. Therefore, the scriptural truth this morning from Malachi chapter 4 is this. Be ready and prepared for the day of the Lord that is certain to come. I'm going to read to you Malachi chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. 
But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. The word of God. Again, in our we come to this 12th and final minor prophet that we started studying last fall. And as we've seen with all 12 minor prophets, not that their message was minor, but that you have a shorter message contained compared to Isaiah or Jeremiah, which has multiple, multiple chapters and larger books. But you have Malachi here, who is the last words before a 400-year period of silence before the birth of Jesus Christ And here in the text that we read today, it comes a hundred years after the exile of Israel, after they've come back into the land, they have rebuilt the temple as we've seen in the text the last two Sundays. And what has been the problem is even though the walls of Jerusalem are being, being rebuilt in the times of Nehemiah, which Malachi comes on, you see the following among the people of God. You see a corrupt sacrificial system of worship to God. You see the people of God are hoarding their money and being greedy. You see idol worship. The people of God worshiping idols of stone and wood and they're not worshiping the Lord God Almighty. But one of the things we see in Malachi as we've seen with every single minor prophet and we see throughout the word of God is that God is faithful to his promises. And so his promises offer the people of Israel then and the people of God today hope for delivery. Malachi sums up really the message of the Old Testament. If you read Genesis to Malachi, really the theme and summary of the message of the Old Testament is God who is a faithful covenant-keeping God, is faithful to his covenant, but God's people are not, and they cannot fulfill the covenant that God made with them. And so what you have throughout the Old Testament is that God is going to deal with the sins of his people, but he will not ever abandon them. Pointing to the prophecies that we've looked at, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come. Some of the prophets prophesying 700 years before the birth of Christ. Malachi, 400 years before the birth of Christ. If you had the opportunity to read the four chapters of Malachi this week, you would pick up on three or four of the different prophecies of the birth of John the Baptist that you read in Luke chapter 1, or the birth of Jesus Christ that you read in Matthew chapter 1, or in Luke chapter 1. Malachi wrote this 400 years before, and do not mistake this. When Malachi writes, like the other prophets, he doesn't make up his own message. He doesn't come up with some catchy thing to say. He says and speaks, it says, the word of the Lord. So we take heed that this is the word of God for us to study today. Let's look at the first point if you're following along in your notes. In the first verse of uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evil doers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Malachi, his name means my messenger or God's messenger. And again, he brings a close to the Old Testament. 
Now, maybe some of you have either thought this before or you've met people like this. I can think of a number of people over the years who thinks in this way, specifically one man who approached me years ago when I was preaching through the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And as we came to certain chapters, he came to me and said, I don't like the Old Testament because the Old Testament God is a God of wrath. I only like the New Testament because the New Testament God is a God of love. And, and we chuckle because it, we think that when you read through it. But what I've found is most people that make that um, summary that, of, that, of that, what they think about God, when you ask them, they maybe have only read some verses or portions of the Old Testament and a lot of the New Testament. So when you read the New Testament and Jesus Christ and the grace of God and the forgiveness and life in the Holy Spirit and eternal life, you're like, wow, I want to know that God. And then when we read the Old Testament speaks of judgment and the wrath of God, you're like, I don't want to deal with that. Because in reality, none of us want to deal with fear or judgment, or wrath, or to even acknowledge that we're sinners. We would just want to acknowledge that God is love, and we want to be with Him for eternity. And so this is something that I believe happens, and, and, and really what happens is I think of that man, he was badly mistaken. And one of the things that he did was, which I didn't know, he didn't tell me, but he began to read through the Old Testament that year. He came to me later in the year and said, I finished the book of the Old, of, I read all of the Old Testament, as I didn't realize God is a God of love, and, I, and he's the same in the Old Testament as in the New. And I was like, wow, he was all jazzed up about it. He had been in church all of his life, and he's like, I never read through the Old Testament. And so it's something for you to take note. The Old Testament description of God and the New Testament description of God, he is one and the same. In all of eternity, before God ever created this earth, before he ever said, let there be light, God has always been a loving God, He's always been a completely holy God, and he's always been a completely just God. And that is the type of God that you want to save you, and the God that you would desire to worship. Some of you have had children, and you've warmed them before of danger. Maybe a child has reached for the stove, and you've yelled, don't touch it! Maybe a child has taken a fork or a knife and tried to stick it in an electrical socket, and you'll put that down. And all of a sudden, the child's lip starts quivering, and they start to cry, and you don't love me. Or maybe you're like, some of you are like, well, I have a teenager that said that to me lately. They wouldn't, and the teenager's like, yeah, my parents don't love me because they wouldn't let me do this and this. But my argument would be that a parent who would not warn their child of problems and fear and trouble does not love their child. And therefore, when you read the Old Testament, when you read the New Testament in Jesus' words, he warns constantly. The Word of God constantly warns about the day of the Lord. And we've seen this in all 12 minor prophets. It's been repeated over and over over the past weeks and before Christmas. And so if you look at verse 1, he says, For behold, the day is coming. This day is the same day that's been described, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. Other minor prophets have called it the awesome day of the Lord or the terrible day of the Lord. And he writes it as it is a certainty. It will happen. And what the day of the Lord is, this day that's coming, speaking of this sunrise on high, is this is God's warning to the people of Israel then and to all of us now that there is a day of judgment coming. 
And at the same time, it's a clear picture of his love. And this was a final warning in the Old Testament of the, my, of the prophets to come to the nation of Israel. Beware, the great day of the Lord is coming. It's a final word in that sense for, the, for, the, 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 for us today. The, the day of the Lord is coming. It's a warning for any and everyone who is far off from the Lord that the day of the Lord is coming. And it describes it there, the day is coming, burning like a what? There in verse 1. What's it say? Burning like a what? Maybe your version says oven. I read oven. Um, the, a furnace. The home that I grew up in where my dad lives, we have a, a wood stove. Some of you have wood stoves in your home, um, and so to heat your house, you're putting the wood inside of it, and this, I don't know if it's cast iron or what type of metal it is, but one night, my dad tells a story of that, they woke up, and it was extremely hot, and he goes out to where the wood stove is, and the whole top of the wood stove is glowing red. They had placed some eucalyptus wood that had a lot of oil in it. And that thing was burning so hot, and I can't remember if he said there was fire coming out the, the stack of outside, but the bricks were like on fire to touch, and even on the other side in his closet, and it was like the house could have burnt down. Once that uh, thing had cooled down over time, uh, the rest of the time we had that wood stove, the whole top half was like a gray color. It's like all the black color was gone out of it. But I think of that burning oven or a burning furnace when you read this description the day is coming like a furnace or a or an oven this picture and description is the day of God's coming the return of Christ that there's a day of judgment and it burns like a hot oven and what it is describing is God's wrath and again, we don't want to talk about God's wrath because we want to separate that from his love, but we can't because God's holy and he's just. And if, he is ju if God is completely without sin and holy and he's completely just and he's written his laws and his words and we have broken those laws, then the just holy God must punish us for our sins. We don't like that. We want to go to the cross and look at forgiveness, which is what we should do. And look to Jesus for his mercy and his grace and his love. But you can't skip over the wrath of God that is at hand. It's a great day of terror as it's described when Christ returns and people who have no regard for Jesus Christ will hide. They want the mountains to fall on them because they will see that sunrise on high coming in all glory, Jesus Christ, and they will want to hide their faces from him because they know that he is God and they know that they have had no regard for him and they know that what has been said about the judgment and wrath of God will come upon them. And it says there in verse 1, the day is coming burning like an oven and you have to ask the question, what is going into the oven? It says, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. All of mankind, in their arrogance, their pridefulness, their wickedness, their overconfidence, people who have never had any regard of reverence for the Lord God Almighty, people who do not have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, all those who have never submitted to Christ and his lordship, 
they will all be placed in this oven, this picture of this oven, but it really is this picture of describing God's wrath upon them on the day of judgment. If you read the last few chapters of the book of Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, the last book of the Bible, it speaks of the return of Christ. And when you read that, that there is a day that all who have rejected Christ will stand before him. They will give an account for their sins against him. And it says that God will punish those people for eternity. But for all who have feared the Lord and sought him, they will be spared for all eternity. There's a text in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is speaking about this time. And I mean... When you look at this, it's been like a lot of the minor prophets. Some people are like, hey, can we just get to the New Testament? Because isn't this serious? I mean, when you think about this, this is sobering. Who wants to talk about judgment? Who wants to think about God's wrath upon sin? But we must because it's in the Bible. And the Bible is God's word. And it's a warning for us that we would regard our Lord and Savior In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaks that day, and people will come to him on that day of judgment. In verse 21 through 23 of Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's a sense, even as Jesus dealt with the religious leaders of Israel, as Jesus dealt with the Pharisees, he rebuked them. He says, you're being hypocrites. You really have no regard for God. You're religious people. He's like, you're doing the sacrifices. You're going to this. You're attending church. You're going. But he says, you have no regard to me. And this is a description of people who have sold themselves a lie that if they do certain Christian things, then they'll be saved. But the Word of God never teaches that. The Word of God completely teaches that faith alone in Jesus Christ alone is the only thing that saves And what that does is there's no work for any of you in Christ that you have to do to be saved. Jesus did all the work, meaning this, that Jesus Christ came, was born fully human, and he's also fully God. And it may be hard to understand that, but because he's fully God and fully human, he lived a life just like you and I. And he was tempted to sin in every way, and yet the word of God says he never sinned once. And therefore, he could go to the cross because a sacrifice must be made for the sins sins that we've committed. Just like in the Old Testament, they sacrificed all the animals and God required that, but it only brought forgiveness for a year, for a short time. But Jesus Christ, because he never sinned, was the perfect spotless lamb of God that we read about in the New Testament. And he was nailed to a cross And there at the cross, he bore the sins of his people and he bled. 
And he died. And while he hung on that cross, God the Father, who's holy and just, punished his son by pouring out his wrath upon his son. And you think, wait, how does he loving God? He is showing his great love for you who are in Christ because he was willing to punish his son. And Jesus was willing to die for you and take the wrath of God. And he died. The blood stopped flowing in his body. He stopped breathing. He was taken off the cross. He was wrapped with 70 pounds of linen and spices and all these things and placed in the tomb. And on the third day after his death, the tomb was empty. He was raised from death to life, conquering Satan, conquering sin, conquering death, and giving life eternal to all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven, and he is the sunrise who is returning, which we read about here. But it says, those who are wicked and evil, those who have no regard or fear of God, will be burnt up. That oven is a description. Look back at verse 1 here. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch Like California, where our family came from, Montana is no stranger to forest fires. I read a couple years ago a a booklet about the Big Burn of 1910. More than three million acres here in Montana have burned. And when you read about how hot some of the spots of the fire were, were, is unbelievable. When you see some of the pictures where there was a forest and trees, there's nothing. Like there's a picture in my mind where they show a picture before and a picture afterwards. There's, there were trees, but in the picture afterwards, there's no trees, there's no branches, there's no roots. The fire burnt the roots in the dirt. This is the picture of destruction of all those who will have the wrath of God upon them forever. It says they will be set ablaze, to burn, to blaze, to scorch, to kindle, this, burn this flame, this picture again of all who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be cast into hell for eternity and the wrath of God will be upon them. And people don't want to ever mention the word hell because it's not politically correct in this world and it's not something we should ever say. But hell is real. And if I would not tell you about that, I would be lying to you. And therefore, Jesus says it is real. It is coming. And he says, therefore, turn to him. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says in verse 20 and 24, 20 through 21, therefore we, all who are Christians, believers, are ambassadors for Christ. It says God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you're a follower of Christ, then you join me in that we are ambassadors of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, like this text, I beg you, I implore you to believe in Jesus as Lord. Because I'll tell you, there's no hoop to jump through, no class to take, not enough time to attend a church in a year. Simply, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And he's the one who gives the gift of faith. And so all I can tell you is this. (coughs) 20-something years ago when um, I started serving in youth ministry, I did whatever I could to get youth, junior high and high schoolers, 
to pray a prayer of salvation. Nothing wrong with that. Many hands went up. Many youth prayed a prayer of salvation. Years later, many of those never having any regard for God ever in their life, never seeking after Him, no fruitfulness. And I began to ask myself years later, did I sell children, teenagers, a lie? Just pray a prayer and you're saved. There is no prayer in the Bible. When the people cried out on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, they said, what should we do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord. Romans 10 says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he was raised from death to life and you'll be saved. So church, I could tell you a word-for-word prayer. Some of you have grown up and you went to Billy Graham crusades or you've been to Franklin Graham crusades. There's nothing wrong with a prayer, but if you believe that you're going to be spared the wrath of God by a prayer, then you believe a lie because salvation is a work in your heart and your soul. And we know that the Holy Spirit comes upon us and opens our eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And we see our sin and we say like Isaiah, woe is me, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And God forgives and God saves. And it takes all the pressure off of you because you cannot save yourself. Only Jesus Christ can save. And when you believe in Christ and you know that he's the only one who can save you, you actually sleep better at night. But while you walk from him or you think that salvation is a works-based salvation, you will not sleep well. And you will have agony because you will be trying to think, what's the next thing I need to do to please God so he'll be happy with me and accept me? That's a whole lot on one verse, and we have two more. I'll keep it short. There is a certainty of judgment to come. But also, if you look at verse 2 and 3, the certainty of joy. How many of you want to be joyful? Anyone? I saw like one hand. I said, okay, there's like 10 of us, like 15 of us maybe. No, we we want joy, not happiness. We want happiness, but most of all of us should know happiness lasts for a while. You go on a roller coaster ride, for those of you who love roller coasters, and you're happy until later when you're thrown up. The happiness is gone. We are so happy when our team wins a game and then loses the next week in playoffs and they're out. The happiness and the joy is gone. The happiness is gone. What we want is joy, and joy that lasts and grows. And when you read of the joy that comes from Christ for all who are in him, the joy is not just joy while you are living this earth following him, but it talks about joy eternal that's ever-growing. Can you imagine living for eternity with the Lord God Almighty, and your joy is ever-increasing and there's no end to it? We can't imagine it. We can't picture it because we grade things in this earth of like, I got happiness from this and this or whatever, and it ends at some point. But here there's a certainty of joy. Look at verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. This is a blessing here. 
This is a blessing for all in Christ, for all who believe in him, that comes to only, to only anyone who fears the name of God. Now, this isn't the type of, of fear, it's like someone says God's name is kind of like you, I don't know, you, you, you do some type of religious type of thing or whatever. No, there's an awe and a reverence that is in the hearts of people that Scripture describes those who fear the Lord God Almighty. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, this wisdom that we need the Lord God Almighty to save us. But here we have a blessing for all who fear the name of the Lord. Psalm chapter 2, verse 11 helps us this. It says, Psalm chapter 2, verse 11, serve the Lord with fear. And this isn't the type of fear like, oh man, he's going to strike me dead. I just said something. You're like looking in the sky for lightning or whatever. There is the fear that he can take you out in an instant, but it says, serve the Lord with fear, this reverence, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Are you taking refuge in the Lord God Almighty? If not, the warning of the day the Lord is coming, and my prayer is that you would take refuge in the Lord God Almighty Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body. So don't be fearful of man who can take you out. Uh, I saw on the news this morning some other shooting, like 10 people were killed last night. Again, don't fear the fact that someone can take your life but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Again, a reverent fear for the Lord God Almighty who gives you the ability to even take a deep breath right now, the one who's given you life. It says in the verse 2, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Again, just as yesterday, that sun came up over those mountains to our east. And that blue sky that was so bright. I had put on sunglasses yesterday. I was driving squinting from that sun, just as the, that sun, sunlight came and drove the clouds away and brought some warmth, even when it's 28 degrees. I'm like, it feels warm out here. The sun of righteousness came and comes again to dispel the darkness, the oppression, and to bring eternal joy. Any guesses who the sun of righteousness is? Who? Jesus Christ, he is the son of righteousness who is written of here in two descriptions, in the sense of the one who would come the first time or the first advent, which we just celebrated in December, the birth of Jesus Christ, but also the description of the second coming of Christ, that as Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, after he rose from death to life and the disciples spent time with him and they ate with him and they saw him after he came back from death to life, he said, I'm going and I'm going to come again. And so we await for that second return. We know that this prophecy here in Malachi in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, and specifically here, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and his birth. Read Luke chapter 1 and 2. Read Matthew chapter 1. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus Christ is the light of life that came, that comes into this world. Luke chapter 1, verse 78 and 79, as it describes the birth of John the Baptist, it also says that he is the forerunner of Jesus Christ the Messiah. And here's the description 
that is fulfilled that we see from Malachi. Luke 1.78 says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in what? Darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, in his own words, in John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Scripture is clear that before salvation in Jesus Christ, you are blind, living in a dark world. The sinfulness of your heart blinds you. Satan blinds you. You have no idea or regard for God whatsoever, or even that you need God, or that you need salvation until the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the truth of God and your sinfulness. And again, as Jesus said, that he must leave so the Holy Spirit would come and convict the world of sin as the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and you see and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection proclaimed, you then are like, woe is me. Jesus saved me, and he does the work of salvation. This description of the Son of Righteousness also, though, is connected to Isaiah chapter 60, one of the uh, larger, greater prophets, and not that his message was greater than Malachi, but it many more chapters as you see in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 2, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Now if you look there at Malachi in verse 2, it says, The Son of Righteousness shall rise with what in its wings? Healing. How many of you have been sick before? How many of you are sick now? How many of you have actually been experienced healing after sickness? Especially after like stomach sickness, and you're like, the relief and the healing later, you're like, yes, I can eat pizza again, I can eat whatever again. But that feeling of healing afterwards, this picture of like these outstretched wings offering healing is this picture of Christ as he comes and offers healing from sin eternally for all who have faith in him. Jesus offered and offers healing from sin and the penalty of sin, which is death, by his death on the cross. But there's this ultimate healing that happens in Christ when he returns. For all who are followers of Christ, there is a day when Jesus comes. It says the day of the Lord, that terrible day or that awesome day of the Lord, when there is this day of judgment, there is also glorification for the people of God. That all who have already died in faith in Christ and their soul is in heaven right now, they are perfected. There's no sinfulness in their soul and their bodies in the grave. And it's a miraculous thing how God does this, but he will raise our bodies from the ground to have bodies without any sinful trouble, pain, or sickness to be rejoined with our souls that have been made perfect. This word glorification, that we're glorified and we're with him forever. Can you imagine never being sick, never stubbing your toe, never breaking a bone, never having a headache ever again 
because he's restored your body to how creation was when he created Adam and Eve. And to think you'd never think a sinful thought again? That sinfulness would not be a part of your life because it's not a part of your soul, glorified and with Christ for eternity. It's hard to believe, but that's what the Word of God promises will happen for all who are in Christ. Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Some of you have seen uh, calves out in a field. Or you've seen calves after they're, I don't know, just young uh, uh, and they're coming out of a stall. I know our family from time to time will see calves out in the field and they're, and they're leaping and jumping. And, and I don't know about you, but it puts a smile on my face. I'm like, that cow is happy. And they're kicking and jumping all over. Sometimes you might see a couple of them chasing around. This is the description of the joy that floods the hearts of God's people when he returns. Those who uh, reject Christ, they will be hiding. They want to be, they're like the mountains falling us. I don't want to see God, the just judge. But for all who are in Christ, the leaping picture, the joyfulness of our heart because our Lord and our Savior, and we'll be with him for eternity. That's the blessing for all who have faith in Jesus Christ. And it says lastly in verse 3 there, And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Again, you must balance the word of God and know from beginning to end, God's holy, he's just, and he is love. And so he will punish all those who reject him, but for all who are in Christ, this continuing love of God flooding their life forever. And even though Malachi said these things 400 years before Christ is born, do you know that God set his love upon his people before time? Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Some of you are like, we're going back to Ephesians. You mention it every single week. Well, not every week. Just a few verses here, three verses. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, Paul's writing this to Christians in the church of Ephesus. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That means before God said, Let there be light and created the heavens and the earth that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then it says this, you should highlight it, circle this, put a mark there. It says, in love. In what? It says, in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Jesus Christ and his love has existed before you ever breathed one breath. And we praise him for his great love for us and his will and his plan to save his people by sending his son Jesus. A final word. I read this quote this week. It says this, This world is the best thing the wicked will ever know. This world is the worst thing the righteous will ever know. Eternity sets everything right. 
And it is better to be prepared for eternity than to be prosperous in this time. There is a day coming. And I pray that you are watching and you're ready and you're prepared because you love Jesus. And because you know his forgiveness. And you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's God. The last verse and text I'll read to you is in 2 Peter chapter 3. And it summarizes all the things the minor prophets have been saying in our study, that Christ is going to return and he's going to set everything straight. And it says this in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. The people at Malachi's time were like, God, where are you? How come you haven't put down the wicked people? Why haven't you returned? Peter says here, but it is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, it's certainty, church. The word of God says it will happen. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, he who is faithful, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The sunrise of righteousness, Jesus Christ is returning, and we long for that day. And I would tell you this, if you're here this morning, and you've come into this place, and you're far off from the Lord Jesus Christ, I could tell you a prayer to say, but the words mean nothing unless the Holy Spirit moves upon your heart and you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior to the glory of God. As the worship team comes forward, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is a difficult thing to speak of your wrath, your coming judgment, utter destruction for all who are far off from you. Father, I pray that as we read of those truths, that we'd also read and be reminded of your great love, your grace upon your people to forgive us of our sinfulness, to save us, to make us your own. Father, we long for your return and that day that we would leap like the calves leap with joyful in our hearts, joyfulness in our hearts because you, our Lord and Savior, have returned. We long for the day that you will make all things new, you will set everything straight, a new heavens, a new earth, that we will be with you forever. No more sickness, no more sadness, no more tears, no more death, no more sin. Lord, we long for that day and we say, Jesus, Lord, Savior, come. May you work upon our hearts and make us holy after you. In Jesus' name, amen.